We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. They're going to kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck. Bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a beat poet. Name, name your, name your price. Ah, a tool, an idea, an inspiration. To do more than just say what you want to pay, oh no, but to see the options that could fit your budget. (sighs) Steve. Steve, enough bongos. Find car insurance that fits your budget at Progressive.com. Makes me want to dance. Steve! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Classic Uh, podcasting move. It is. It really is. I mean, that industry is pretty much founded on the principle that you can ignore your spouse right up to the point of divorce. <laughs> this is the Road to Wire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. Your host, Andrew Laird, Mike Dawson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. I am your usual host, Mike Gottlieb, with my usual co-host, Andrew Lair. But we have a special guest. It's John Wallen of Tagub at Fantasy Gaffer on the Twitter. G-A-F-F-E-R is how you spell gaffer for all of you people that can't spell. Now, we participated, and thank you to John to help organize all of this, in 
Uh, was it the first ever? Was it the inaugural uh, ranking summit, or was it, or have there been others before, John? No, it was the inaugural uh, FPL ranking summit, and it had uh, participants from not only RotoWire, you fine gentlemen, but a number of uh, other people that uh, most of the listeners to this podcast probably recognize from the internet, and uh, including you can, plug, you can plug them. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, including uh, you know John Hudson from Kick TV, uh, Neil Thurman. From over at uh, Roto World and also Play Taga, uh, Kev DeVries, who hosts the uh, EPL Roundtable, and Rob Langman from uh, from Rasball, and I'm sure I'm leaving some. Oh, and uh, Ben Jada, who uh, everybody knows not only from his fine MLS coverage, but also uh, working over at Upper Ninety now as well. Yeah, I think he's also a third rail member as well as myself. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, I think that's accurate. He also works over. He does uh, American soccer now as well. I mean, Ben's everywhere. I mean, if you're uh, if you're on Twitter and you're uh, and you're following soccer in any capacity, you probably have some idea who he is. Yeah, uh, I definitely see him come across my Twitter feed. I'll tell you this much: I felt a little different when he graced this uh, when he graced us with his presence. It was <laughs> it was like I really arrived on the scene. If only Ben Dinnery showed up, then all the whole world would have. Been- <laughs> broken down but uh we so we we did a couple of things at the ranking summit we had a couple of uh pretty in-depth conversations about specific players and some position breakdowns which we'll get to in a second but we also did uh and we'll talk about this at the uh, closer to the end of the podcast we did do an eight team mock draft just with the eight guys that were there which was a lot of fun and i crushed it personally but uh we'll get to that uh, closer to the end of the podcast but i do want to talk about some of the you know, position uh, position uh, assignments for Taga, and also what that means for certain players. Uh, we were just having this conversation right before we started the podcast. So I want to pick up right where we left off. But John, uh, where did Memphis Depay end up? Was he a midfielder or a forward? And how do you feel like that affects him? So Memphis Depay in Taga's game. So in both our draft game and our perfect eleven, you know, pick your pick your best eleven will be classified as a forward. And I actually think that that's going to help him. Um, I know that when you're looking at, you know, traditionally when you're looking at FPL and you have the opportunity to invest in your midfield, you take that. You know, you can play up to five midfielders and a lot of FPL players will go with just one or two forwards. But, you know, as you guys can probably both testify to having been part of, uh, you know, a couple of different mock drafts that we've done, both a 10 team and an 8 team, forwards go off the board really quickly, especially in draft format. And, when you have somebody like Depay who, let's assume he plays 30 matches for Manchester United, he may be uh, inside the top 40 midfielders. You know, that makes him a good third, fourth midfielder. Um, but certainly there are a number of lesser names that are going to be more valuable to your fantasy side. But as a forward, he's inside that top 20. And realistically, that makes him an every week starter. If you're running two up top, flexible formations, you know, you're able to run a 3-4-3 three, three, or, uh, you know, uh, a 4-4, four, four, excuse me, a 4-3 a three, four, three, excuse me, uh, and have, uh, have the the third forward up there. I mean, DePay's easily uh, a forward too. And honestly, if he's able to hit, uh, let's say eight goals, 10 assists, he's going to be a low end forward one. And Andrew, as the proud owner of Memphis to pay in the mock draft, do you feel, do you, I mean, do you feel that he's going to be better as a forward or do you feel, you know, the more traditional sense when you start looking at like DraftKings and, other formats like that, is he better as a midfielder? Well, I, you know, we were obviously doing a target draft, so I was looking at it from that standpoint. And what what you don't get from a lot of forwards is chances created. Like they're they're the ones who are, you know, who you think are scoring. But 
uh, in terms of chances created, those tend to come from midfielders, and I think he's going to be in a position to create a lot of chances, which, you know, if you can get chances created from your midfielders and at least one of your forwards, you're obviously um, putting yourself in a pretty good position. So, you know, we kind of say in any format, you love a, a midfielder that is really playing as a forward, and but I think he's actually kind of the other way, but it works perfectly well for uh, the Taga format be, you know, because of all those extra stats that you get instead of having to just rely on the goals and assists. Yeah. And Mike, really quick, just to Andrew's point, um, you know, last season, uh, Alexis Sanchez was classed as a forward for Taga. He will be again uh, this year as well. And he led the pack far and away. He had 81 chances created. Um, the next best forward class last year was Wayne Rudy with 45. I mean, that's 36 more chances created. Obviously, chances created are a, a really good indicator for the number of assists you're going to put up. Um, one other player, not to delve too far into positional rankings, but uh, Manchester City's Raheem Sterling has also been classed as a forward this season in our wow. game. So Alexis Sanchez, Memphis Depay, Raheem Sterling, all forwards uh, in the Taga format. So... You know, let's, you know, Raheem Sterling's been a, a bit of a lightning rod conversation, and there were some varying views on his fit at Manchester City. Uh, let me, let's get your take on it, because I'm sure we'll see everyone else's take on it on their respective sites. But while we're here, I want to hear your opinion on whether you think Raheem Sterling will be an elite level forward in this format or falling down because he may not get the playing time necessary. Or if you may not get the playing time at the right position. Can we, can we quickly I, add that uh, John is a bit of a Liverpool supporter himself? <laughs> he may be the Raheem Sterling expert on this podcast. I, uh, I am, yeah, I am. And I am, I am one of the few who is not embittered by his move to Manchester City. I think that was uh, you know, a great move for him uh, personally to make. I think it's going to be a phenomenal move for City. Not necessarily a great sale for Liverpool you know, if, if they merely managed to turn that into Christian Benteke. But to answer that question, Mike, I think Raheem Sterling is a top five or six forward in our format. Um, I was asked by, um, uh, you know, another site uh, that, you know, does uh, that does salary cap to pick who I thought my top midfielder for the season would be. And, you know, uh, no real surprise. I, I didn't pick Raheem Sterling, but I did pick him to be the second best, uh, the second best midfielder wow. uh, in FPL in the salary cap game. And I think that translates very well. Last season, he had 75 chances created. He had 33 shots on target, which he converted for seven goals. That's a very good conversion rate. More to the point, for somebody that is so just incredibly quick on the ball, he maintains possession at a phenomenal rate. He was only dispossessed 76 times last season. Alexis Sanchez was dispossessed 116 times. That's about half of what I thought it was going to be, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think about those two players, I think most people, you know, the eye test or the anecdotals are, Raheem Sterling, he's so slight of build, you know, he gets knocked off the ball really easily. No, he doesn't. He's blowing past people, maintaining possession, getting in crosses, taking good quality shots, um, not necessarily from range, but in that Manchester City formation, he's not going to have to. And, you know, 137 seconds into his Manchester City career, he already had a tally. He also tripped over the ball. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> 
But um, Andrew, Andrew, your retort because I, I think I, I want to get to my take on it last. In terms of where he is in, as a midfielder, I mean, we we've kind of discussed this already that I think he's in a significantly better position now. Uh, certainly, fantasy wise, that's all we really care about. Just because there are guys that are around him now that can finish a little more. You know, we talk about these chances created, but you know, the guys that he was creating chances for last year are not the finishers that he has with him now. You know, Sergio Aguero is arguably the best finisher in the league. I guess you could possibly make a Diego Costa argument, but you know, no, he's getting no, no. Okay, not. good. So you know, he's got Aguero, David Silva, Yaya Torre. I mean, these guys know how to score goals. You know, Wilfred Boney, if he plays enough that, uh, you know, it's one thing to be passing those guys. It's another one having to rely on, you know, Ricky Lambert or uh, Balotelli when they tried that out. Uh, so I think he's going to be significantly better than he was. I'm not sure he's the second best midfielder, although I guess it all comes down to position qualification. So maybe he will be. And real quick, Mike, before you get in your two cents, to Andrew's point, last season, uh, Steven Gerrard, nine goals for Liverpool in the league. Raheem Sterling, seven goals for Liverpool in the league. Jordan Henderson, six goals for Liverpool in the league. Jordan Henderson is Liverpool's returning goal champion. I mean, that is a putrid offensive team if the signs that they make this summer don't uh, you know, make an instant impact. And... So my take on it, it's a great, all these are great numbers and they really should dictate my thinking. I just, it just doesn't, I don't know what to say. I, I'm one of those eye testers, not because of the slight build and not because of the slight build to get knocked off the ball. It's because I don't see him as someone who's a fantastic finisher. I, I, I just, just from the games that I've seen him play, I've seen him miss. Obviously the one that I can point to is, when he had the open net from the three yards away and he still skied it somehow. But uh, it's it's just that he's not a consistent striker of the ball when it comes to finishing to me. And I don't think he's whipping in tremendous crosses. Uh, I, 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 I just I don't think he has the quality of the delivery necessary to be an elite performer consistently. It's... If call it an eye test, call it a gut feeling. I understand it's probably not going to be a very popular, um, a popular way of thinking. But my my thought is is that he's not. He's definitely not a fifty million pound upgrade to Jesus Navas. But I think he's more of the maybe like a five to ten million pound difference to Jesus Navas because he's quick on the ball. He can blow by people. He can whip in a mediocre cross, and he can have mediocre finishes. Um, that's my take on it. I understand. I'm probably not going to get much agreement on it. And uh, you know what? I really hope I'm wrong because I really do want to see people succeed. Um, it's just I just don't think he's that great. Okay, not to just throw stats right back at you, but last season Raheem Sterling, seven goals, ten assists. To find another player that had a comparable season to seven goals, ten assists, you have to go to Manchester City. And you have to look at David Silva, who had 12 goals, 11 assists. To find uh, you know, another forward that did that last season, you have to go to Manchester City and find Sergio Aguero, who hit 10 assists, 26 goals. I mean, these are the guys that are going to be playing with Raheem Sterling now. And while when you look at a salary cap or in, you know, particularly, I mean, I don't know where you guys stand when you're doing um, 
when you're doing DraftKings, I don't know if you're pro or anti-stack. I'm personally anti-stack when I'm playing in uh, one-day leagues. But these guys are going to cannibalize one another's points in a lot of formats, not in draft format. In draft format, you could conceivably draft Sergio Aguero, David Silva, Raheem Sterling, and have, a, have an excellent team. And I know we'll get to the, the mock draft a little bit later on, but the reality is we actually saw a team take David Silva and Raheem Sterling in the first two rounds, and that team doesn't look any the worse for having done it. And that's a very good distinction to make. I may be in a daily thinking. I may be in a daily thought, and I concede that. And I also concede the fact that, and, and if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I do not let facts get in the way of my opinions. <laughs> it's just not. I, I apparently it's just not how I roll for some reason. But uh, one one thing I do want to throw out there: there's only one ball between all of those players you listed. Th- not everyone can have the ball, and Raheem Sterling, if he's the focal point of Manchester City, I think he's going to be fantastic. I don't agree with that first part of that statement that he'll be the focal point of that offense. Well, he doesn't have to. I mean, he can score 10 goals and have 10 assists easily without being the focal point of the offense. I don't think anybody's arguing he's the focal point. Well, hold on a second. Because if you say, when you, now I will use the stats to help me. David Silva, say what you will. He was the focal point when it came to making sure that the offense was clicking. Yes, Sergio Aguero scores the goals. No one, no, no one is arguing that. But the guy who makes it all tick is David Silva. And then if you want to go to another statistical equivalency here, you can also go with Alexi Sanchez, maybe. You can also uh, – and also Eden Hazard at Chelsea. Those guys are in the same mold where the ball really runs through them, which could have led to the stats that they had because they were on the ball in the offensive third and they were making things happen. Do you feel that Raheem Sterling is going to be that guy? Because in order to get to those statistics, including Raheem Sterling last year, you have to be that guy. That's the, that's the way that I've interpreted those numbers you sprouted at me last, for, from last season and projecting them forward to this season because that's really what we're trying to do. Do you feel that Raheem Sterling will be the not necessarily the focal point but on the ball enough to have potentially double-digit goals and assists? I believe I know what the answer is, but I just want to make sure that with what I just said, it doesn't sway your opinion. So, so uh, Andrew, I'll start with you here. My response is I don't think he needs to be on the ball as much as you're making it sound to hit 10-10 and 10 on that team. That's how I look I, at it. I, I also want to kind of hedge a little bit on this assist <laughs> number because the the way that the Premier League and – I don't know if Opta does it specifically, but like like getting drawing penalties and having that penalty converted counts as an assist. So the assist numbers get a little inflated in in those games. So like if people are looking up stats on like who scored, like those are going to be a little lower for assists. That being said, yeah, I, I think Sterling will will be on the field enough to trip into ten goals and ten assists. And I'm going to completely agree with Andrew there. And one of the reasons uh, I will, and, and to uh, back up his point, we did actually, um, because of user feedback, move to um, what Opta classes as a, quote, fantasy assist. So it's not only the final pass leading to a goal, but it's also if you win the penalty or the free kick that directly scores. Um, and in certain cases, if you play a ball directly in that is the next touch is an own goal, you do get scored an assist on that. 
But even that, the numbers we're using today, for the most part, are straight uh, last touched assists. And even with that, last season, Jesus Navas, oh, well, fantasy, had nine assists. Samir Nasri had two goals and six assists. Eden Dzeko had four goals, four assists. Steven Jovicic, five goals, three assists. I think what we're going to see is Raheem Sterling taking on something of an Eden Hazard role here uh, opposite David Silva, where the lineup that's being run out by Manchester City is considerably more consistent than it has been in the past. And when you look at the fact that the compilation of who all of these play, like what all these players managed to achieve in their limited amount of time, and you don't even have to do a one-for-one comparison because obviously, I mean, these players are all still going to get their minutes uh, somewhere. But there are so many goals being scored here. And there are so many opportunities for an explosive wing player playing in either that front three or that front two-one triangle, however you want to class it, at Manchester City. And I think the best example would be looking back to uh, the first go-round at Chelsea when Jose Mourinho was fielding a side that was scoring 100 goals a season. I mean, realistically, I think that's where this Manchester City side is. Um, We saw last year they kind of gave up the ghost on defense a bit, and I think that they realized their best chance to win another Premier League crown is to outscore their up, not to say it that way, to outscore their opposition, but in a very Kevin Keegan, you score four, we'll score five kind of way. And, and either way, if that's the case, then you want, in daily formats especially, Manchester City and everyone Manchester City plays against offensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I don't disagree. All right. So uh, we'll still get to the draft in a minute. I do want to touch on a couple of things that we talked about during the ranking summit. One is uh, we, we all agreed that goalkeepers particularly, they're like the kickers of fantasy North American football. And when we went around and said, who do you think is going to be the top scoring goalkeeper? Every single one of us had a different response, which when everyone is the best, no one's the best. (laughs) So with just that in mind, I just want to hear, I just want to hear you guys state your cases for the guys that you picked as the, as the top scoring goalkeeper. Uh, John, let's start with you. I picked Costal Pantelimon, the Sunderland goalkeeper. Um, last season, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have, and I don't know if it exists, but I don't have DraftKings uh, historical data in front of me. So for salary cap and one-day leagues, I'm using the points as scored in the FPL official. So last season, um, he was sixth overall with 123 points scored. He was only 27 points behind Lucas Fabianski, who was the top-scoring goaltender. And that's very similar to what we saw um, in, in draft, where... Again, I mean, the the spread was considerably larger in our game uh, because Lucas Fabianski scored 309 points. Uh, Castle Pentamil was third overall with 251 points on the strength of 109 saves made. And there's simply no chance that Sunderland isn't going to give up, uh, you know, another 155, 160 shots. They're going to give up 40 or 50 goals. He's going to make saves on most of the rest of those, and then throw in six, seven, maybe 12 balls hitting the woodwork, whatever it may be, uh, gold, you know, defender saves or um, you know, blocks inside the six-yard box, he's going to be a top-five goalkeeper. And when I'm looking at my you know, last pick, just like I do with a kicker, all I really want is the guy that's in the right position. You know, give me the Broncos kicker. Give me Sunderland's goalkeeper. 
and uh, and this will be this will that's I I love that pick. Uh, I was gonna take I was gonna choose Pantelimon, uh, but when it got around to me, I was last, so I picked somebody else. I picked Casper Schmeichel, who to I mean I fell in love with Casper Schmeichel a long time as a prospect, but he to me is a potential long term replacement for David de Gea at Manchester United for me. He has that kind of mold to me. He's a fantastic shot stopper. He has some work to do in terms of claiming the ball on corners and on crosses. But as a shot stopper, his talent, his reflexes are second to none. And he's going to get the opportunity to block a bunch of shots because that, that defense at Leicester is not stellar. But it's, <laughs> it's not I – mean, they're going to – hopefully they will focus on it more, especially with Nigel Pearson no longer there them being less desperate to score goals to win games, they'll hopefully play a little tighter. But even when they do that, they're still going to let up a lot of shots because they're just simply not that good. And the combination of shots, potential uh, saves, potential clean sheets, I've discussed this many times on the podcast, the number of clean sheets has gone down every year almost consistently the past 10 years. So trying to choose who has the highest number, it's not going to be high enough where it's above the middle tier or the lower tier of goalkeepers in terms of clean sheets. So good luck predicting that. And then... Lastly, it's just he has the opportunity to make a ton of saves. So that's why I went with Casper Schmeichel and uh, Andrew. Your love affair with Jack Butland continues. Yeah, should please. be England's number one. Yeah, I mean it's the same idea that that you guys said. I I think Stokes actually a little bit better defensively than the teams that you guys mentioned, which is I guess arguably hurting me. Uh, we uh, wrote about this during the first uh, Taga mock draft that. Uh, the la- the top five goalkeepers in Taga last year were Fabianski, Adrian, Tom Heaton, Pantelimon, and Green. Two of those five were relegated. Pantelimon's team was saved in week 37. So, obviously, the it's saves that are going to get you your points. Um, and like you said, clean sheets are going down. And, you know, I have no problem with somebody taking Courtois or Czech as long as it's the last, you know, if you have the first pick in the last round, I, I think you're perfectly fine going with them. But it's this, you know, moving, you know, taking them early just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and frankly, I, I finding it difficult for anybody to make any sort of argument for anyone under those two guys, because everybody's going to see shots. We, you know, the shots from week to week are just so unreliable, and teams kind of change from year to year, as we've seen. So. You know, Fabianski could very well be the tenth highest scoring goalkeeper next year because Swansea get better. You know, it's it's weird. Like the better the team is, the 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 worse their goalie is in in the Taga format at least because saves are so high. So, I mean, not that you don't get save points in you know the uh, Premier League's official game or whatnot, but you know there you're really banking on clean sheets, whereas you can kind of make them up in the Taga format. So. I think you can make a case for pretty much anybody, which you know isn't great fantasy advice. I apologize for that, but um, I just I'm going with Butlin this year. <laughs> and, and Andrew, you you totally buried the lead on the the way you can get points in FPL. You can triple captain your goalkeeper. Yeah, <laughs> there's a way you can get some points. Yeah, but good luck. Got- it'll be the week that you know you'll have Courtois, and it'll be the week that Charlie Chelsea Charles gives up Adam. two. Two penalties. No, it, it'll be the week that Charlie Adams chips the goalkeeper from 70 yeah, yards. Away. Exactly, exactly. Now, I don't want to make this a goalkeeper podcast. They're not that interesting. Uh, we had some discussions during the draft, which I promise we will get to right after this discussion because we kind of talked about midfielders and forwards. But for defenders, we have 
there there was definitely some dissent in terms of when you should draft defenders in a draft format. Now, I will start because I, I think I have the dissenting opinion again. I never think about drafting a defender until the 10th round-ish, somewhere where it's past where I'm comfortable with my midfielder and my forward core group. And until I get that core group, I'm not thinking about a defender. There's, there's just not enough ceiling between the top tier, maybe after the top two, but the top tier and then the rest, all of them, including the lower tier. Now, that's my opinion. I want to shoot over to Andrew because I, I want to see what he is. Uh, actually, you know what? No, never mind. John, I know you're of the opposite opinion based on the draft. <laughs> Let's go to you first, and then we'll, then we'll finish up with Andrew. Yeah, I'm obviously I'm on the other side. Before I destroy you on defenders, <laughs> I will give you a very nice pat on the back. Casper Schmeichel, I think, is an excellent pick. Last season in the FPL Official League, he put up 83 points, but he did it in just 21, uh, uh, 2,100 minutes. And that actually, over a full season, comes out to 123 points, which would have made him a dead level with Cospel Pantilmon and inside the top six goalkeepers. So well done. And if you're waiting on, on Casper Schmeichel, he can be had at a discount. Guys who cannot be had at a discount are Kieran Trippier, Leighton Baines, Bronislav Ivanovic, Ryan Bertrand. None of those guys can be had at a discount. And we have seen it time and again in expert mock drafts. We have seen uh, in the work that Neil Thurman's done, both in Taga's buying guide and also in uh, the value-based drafting work that he's done that's appeared on, on Roto World and, and over on Taga. And I know you guys... I know you guys understand the difference here, and I think Andrew's probably in my camp, but like when you're looking at overall point production, and this is a straight American fantasy sports you know, argument, you have to take the best player at the weakest position where you're getting the most bang for your buck. And when you look back at the point spreads last season, you're seeing tons of midfielders i mean last season there were 57 midfielders in taga's top 100 points uh top 100 players that's very similar across every other format be it salary cap daily draft that's what you're seeing midfielders are the great equalizer that also unfortunately devalues them slightly and when you have a player like kieran trippier or branislav ivanovich who outscored christian erickson outscored philip coutinho outscored harry kane outscored uh, Graziano Pele outscored Wayne Rooney. I mean, and then when you consider the fact that the next tier of defenders are guys that are coming in so far behind that tier that you're considering them after players like Craig Gardner of, you know, the Albion, no disrespect to the Albion. But when you have to consider Craig Gardner a third or fourth midfielder, and you're looking at possibly your defender one, the guy who's going to anchor your defense being in the same scoring range, I think it's very easy to make the argument that late in the first round, early in the second round, you're using one of those picks, you're jumping up, you're taking one of those four or five guys. Uh, there's a good case to be made for Nathaniel Klein again now that he's moved to Liverpool. Kieran Trippier obviously moving from Burnley back into the Premier League with Tottenham. Uh, and then, you know, the players that we, you know, that we know and love every year, Leighton Baines, Branislav Ivanovic. All right, Andrew, set me straight or set John straight? I'm going to split the middle here, actually. I knew it. You were going to sit on the fence. Um, I'm not going to sit. I, <laughs> I understand the argument for the upper-tier defenders, that they should go early. Um, so 
taking Ivanovich or Baines or Trippier, uh, I think you could. I, I think those three are in a class by themselves. Um, I don't. I I, I want to put Klein or Bertrand in there, but I don't think they belong there. Bertrand, I'm not sure Southampton is going to be as good this year defensively, and a lot of Bertrand and Klein's value, at least in uh, the the official game or ESPN came from clean sheets because Southampton was so good last year and they don't I'm not you know if they're not as good this year which is certainly possible then that value goes down and I've always thought that Liverpool's defense stinks and I'm not sure Klein makes it significantly better so yes you can I think you can make the argument for Baines and Ivanovic Trippier I'll throw in as well I actually don't think Trippier is going to be that much better this year than last. I was kind of making that point. Everybody was saying how much better he'll be at Tottenham. And I don't think there's any part of Tottenham that, that makes him better. Maybe he gets a few assists, you know, two more assists. I don't think he's headed for this like 12 assist number just because, you know, he's sending in passes to Harry Kane because Ings was a fine finisher in the middle. So Baines and Ivanovich, I think are fine there, but if you don't get either of those guys, I think it's absolutely fine to sit on them because Last year, if you sat, you could have ended up with a guy like Trippier. You know, like he, he, he was not an early pick last year. Yep, Cresswell, or he, I would even say Cresswell's teammate Carl Jenkinson is a, a decent pick this year because he's playing on the other side. And Cresswell wasn't, you know, crossing as much. He does get the free kicks, which gives him a nice boost. But I think the argument that you can, that you need to take them in these middle, you know, the third to let's even call it ninth rounds. Like, I'm not sure. I think you're giving up potential midfield upside to get guys that, that may perform, but you can, you can grab guys later. You know, basically you get a guy like Cedric, who's, uh, you know, replacing Klein at Southampton. If you think Southampton's still good, you can get him later. Or, you know, if you think Manchester United is going to be better this year defensively, you can get some of their guys later that I, I prefer to, to play for midfield or forward upside in those middle rounds than to kind of draft a defender that I think could be easily replaced. So I'll cut the middle like that. John, any reaction to what Andrew said? No, you know, honestly, I I don't have a huge disagreement with that. I do think that that tier of defenders that you should be trying to get to anchor your squad is a little bit larger than, you know, two. I think it's probably six. And I gave it three uh, at least. I'll, I'll include Trippier and make it three. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, and, and Andrew, to your point, I mean, um, we already mentioned Ben Dinnery once today. We'll mention him again. But Ryan Bertrand out at least six weeks mm-hmm. um, to start the season. And, you know, uh, in a salary cap, that's not a big deal. You know, you just don't buy him. You know, wait for his price maybe um, either stabilize or drop maybe, uh, you know, a little bit. Uh, but in a draft, you know, he can be had at a discount. And, you know, we saw him go in the eighth round. Um to me <laughs> in the mock draft that we did, you know, I think uh, eighth round for Ryan Bertrand in an eight team draft is a phenomenal value there. And while I'm all in favor, um, particularly of drafting value forwards in those middle rounds, as Andrew mentioned, I'm also going to be using flexible formations uh, in, uh, very frequently. And I'm going to want to play matchups and you can play matchups just as easily with defenders as you can with midfielders and with forwards. And I don't see any harm in using those picks if you think that there's a better chance of getting some separation. Because again, as I mentioned, the separation is just so stark at that position in a way that it's not uh, at either midfield or forward. 
All right. So definitely, if you want to weigh in, please, you can tweet at any one of us, at Fantasy Gaffer for John, at Rotowire Andrew for Andrew, and at Sports by Gotti for myself. You can make fun of me all you want. I will respond, and I will not have any BS thrown at me. I have no problem taking on any one of you guys. <laughs> now, uh, I just don't care. What can I say? Uh, we did do a mock draft at the end, and it was loaded with, Great stuff, great picks, some, some interesting picks as well. Uh, I just want to get everyone's overall take on the draft before we start picking it apart. Uh, John, I don't know what you were expecting from this draft, if there was any sort of you know, position runs that you thought were going to happen early, middle, late, uh, anything that surprised you, anything that stuck out to you. You know, looking back on it, uh, I, I am mostly – the thing that I think jumps out the most is where the new players were drafted, uh, whether it's Roberto Firmino uh, or to, to me in the third round. Yeah, which great pick. That guy is very <laughs> smart. Um, but I mean, you saw we saw Matt Ritchie go in the fifth round, obviously uh, the Bournemouth midfielder. Uh, we saw Dimitri Payet, the new attacking midfielder for West Ham, uh, go shortly thereafter in the sixth round. Troy Deeney, um, fine striker. Coming up, going to be getting his first taste of Premier League action when at the end of that sixth round, uh, we saw uh, a couple other uh, of the Manchester United players, the new players there. So uh, Matteo uh, Darmian went in the 11th round. Uh, Newcastle's new Dutch striker, Jorginho Wijnaldum, went in, in the 11th round. And I just the, the fact that they're new does not mean they are not going to be good. I, you know, I, there's this... I think there's at least the way that I, the way that I read the news sometimes, the way that I read supporters, you know, tweets or, or God, you know, save me uh, comment sections. Uh, you know, <laughs> new players are either uh, you know the next coming of Alexis Sanchez or uh, the next coming of uh, Gabriel Oberton, and there's nothing in the middle. And you know, most of these guys are going to be in the middle, but the ones that went in this draft in particular, I thought. Two things, uh, two things really jumped out to me. Uh, one, Bastian Schweinsteiger went to you, Andrew, in the ninth round. And he went ahead of a few players that I probably would have taken there, maybe not given the way that your draft um, was going because you were already pretty heavy on forwards. But uh, Bojan Crick and uh, Gomish from Swansea went directly after that. Um, but actually, those are not the the picks that I have a problem with that when y'all them didn't go for another three rounds is what I really have a problem with there. Bastian Schweinsteiger played like 1200 minutes last year. He's 30 years old. He's obviously a world-class midfielder, but he's coming into a side ostensibly to be the other half of a timeshare with Michael Carrick and Michael Carrick. I don't even think what got drafted in this. So if Michael Carrick's not even getting drafted, I don't see how you can justify taking Bastian Schweinsteiger in the ninth round. Would you? I mean, I, why were you, Why did you take Schweinsteiger in the ninth round? I think there's significantly more playing time. I mean, you're looking at last year; he was hurt last year, so you know you can. Any player coming off an injury is obviously a bit of a risk, but I don't think they paid you know whatever it was twenty five, thirty million pounds for him for to not play him. I think Carrick. I think is what thirty four or thirty five. So. If there's any kind of timeshare, it's certainly not a 50-50 share. Uh, I also think... Uh, I think Manchester United was very smart in the way that they've spent so far this summer. They saw what Chelsea did 
which is to just outright be bigger, faster, just bully people in the center of midfield. Bastian Schweinsteiger, Morgan Schneiderlin, those are two players that can help you to that effect. If you can have a pretty good sense of security at the middle of the park when either one of those two guys are on the ball or or defending as a shield in front of that, let's face it, shaky back four. Schweinsteiger can also play on the wing a little bit. Like uh, even if he doesn't start, you know, he's not going to play there all the time, but he can play there. I will give you one. I will give you one warning there. The coach that moved him from right wing to the center of the midfield was Louis Van Hall at Bayern. That's fair. I don't think that he's going to want to do that. However, I also feel to John's point about the timeshare. There is no way that he's moving from Bayern Munich to Manchester United without some sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge that he's going to be the first team guy should he be fit. So who's not playing? Because they've done nothing but sign midfielders for basically two full off seasons. I believe Fellaini is not pl- uh, not going to start. Mm-hmm. I believe that Carrick, unless they go with three in the center, will not start. I also believe that both Valencia and Young are going to be substitutes that will be used that they need with. But, uh, Van Hall said either yesterday or this or earlier today. This morning. Val- this morning. Valencia is going to start over Darmian. Yep. To start the well, year at least. Th- yeah, I was about to say that makes one of my picks completely useless. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, something that I, think Ma- I don't think Mata starts either. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, as long as Di Maria is on the team, I don't think Mata starts. Yeah. Fair. Fair for both of you? That's what I think, yeah. I see. I think Juan Mata is an every-match starter. Even if Di Maria is still on the team? Yeah, even if Di Maria is still on the team. Um, And I think that, you know, he has the trust of uh, Louis van Gaal. I think that he has the trust of his teammates. And I think that whatever protracted saga Di Maria is going through, you know, whether or not he ultimately transfers to France or not, I mean, his form wasn't... I'm not going to say his form was bad because, you know, it'd be disingenuous uh, given the way that we scored him (laughs) uh, last season. Um, Three goals, 12 assists, you know, more than 50 chances created. He was a perfectly serviceable third midfielder in a 10-team draft league. Um, Obviously, given his high price tag in, you know, daily and salary cap games, wasn't heavily owned. But the fact of the matter is, he performed as well as anybody else really on that team, I would say with the notable exception of Juan Mata. Juan Mata is also going to link up very, very well in a midfield that has some combination of Ander Herrera, Morgan Schneiderlin, Daly Blind, Michael Carrick, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Memphis Depay. Oh, I'm sorry. I just named six midfielders that somehow have to fit into three slots. And again, I'm just, I'm not seeing, I mean, I don't see where where the value is in in really any of those guys. Uh, arguably, even Depay. Um, I don't know where he's going to be priced. I don't. Do you guys have initial price list yet for uh, game week one for uh, DraftKings? No. For game uh, week one, they haven't. They haven't. They haven't put it out yet. Yeah. So at eight and a half million in in the official game, he's the exact same price as Di Maria Armada. Correct. Uh, Memphis Depay is. And, you know, and, so, and, and the likes of Mesut Ozil, I believe, at Arsenal. Uh, that, that's kind of where everyone kind of fell in there, if I'm not mistaken, Andrew. 
I believe that's right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Ozil, Ramsey, and Kuzorla yeah. are all eight and a half at Arsenal yep. as well. Yep. It's it's the catch-all. It's the I actually play. I actually think these two situations are very similar, and I I want to see if you agree with that. A hundred percent agree with that. Okay. Um, but that's exactly why I don't see there being a clear line for Bastian Schweinsteiger or, or you know to have this uh, massive impact. Uh, much in the same way, and again, I'm a, a huge Theo Walcott supporter, particularly from an FPL standpoint. Um, I've been, you know, I've invested in him in my salary cap side. Well, you know, I will probably buy him at a discount every time I feel he's available at a discount in a daily game, and I'm going to draft him every single place I can draft him in my draft leagues because if Theo Walcott is the player that breaks out of that Arsenal midfield to play opposite Alexis Sanchez, or if he is able to. Uh, beat out Olivier Giroud and Danny Welbeck to be the lone striker in that formation, he's going to return to the days when he was putting up, you know, all-star fantasy numbers. 14 goals, 13 assists in 2012-13. Eight goals, 11 assists in 2011-2012. Uh, nine goals, eight assists in under 1,700 minutes in 2010-2011. I mean, when Theo Walcott is on, he's he's phenomenal. And... You know, again, I'm not not going to say that I think Juan Mata is Theo Walcott. I don't. But I think that Juan Mata is the player in the Manchester United midfield that I want to own. If I'm picking, if I have to pick somebody from that midfield because I've seen what he can do historically. And again, looking back to 2012, 2013 for Juan Mata. Uh, player of the year for Chelsea. 11 goals, 8. Assists, player of the year, player of the year for Chelsea, <laughs> player of the year for everybody. I mean, like that's that's you know, I mean, for anybody in fantasy, I should say, not you know, not you know, real life. But I mean, that's that's an insane haul, and he's certainly capable of doing that if he has, uh, you know, twenty nine year old Wayne Rooney actually playing center forward and firing the way Wayne Rooney thinks, you know, the way Wayne Rooney thinks Wayne Rooney's capable of playing, you know, targeting that uh, that career best thirty four goals for Manchester United. Yeah, again, I, I'm going to play. I'm going to take the upside play. I'm going to take Juan Mata. I'm going to take Theo Walcott. And you know, if I lose on those decisions, I'm not going to feel bad about it at the end of the year. And that's a perfect segue to one of my reactions to this draft. And that's something that we uh, a lot of us said uh, at the roundtable was that this is the first time in a very long time that Wayne Rooney can be had at a value. That his price in both drafts right now. And on salary cap is at a point where his potential value is it, – it's very rare to find in a striker with at his, uh, at his skill level. Uh, Andrew, agree or disagree? Because I think we talked about it last week with the potential 20 goal scorers. He's got to be on your list. He I, – I understood the argument. I, I disagreed that, that he has 20 goal upside. I mean – I, I would be more surprised if he had 20 than than I think anybody because while I feel, you know, obviously playing in that center forward role is going to help him. It, it's a role he hasn't played in a while by himself or and he hasn't been scoring 20 goals recently anyway. The way I didn't look at it at all that he could be had at a discount. I mean, we're, he's the the third highest priced forward in the Premier League official game. He went eighth overall in our draft, and I'm not sure there were any guys who went in front of him, particularly in the Taga scoring format, that that were like reaches ahead of him. And so I think the the 
the place you get in, in the value form is that he may be under owned in salary cap formats, but I, I I disagree that that he's like undervalued because we're all still valuing him like he's an elite option. I mean the 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 only two play forwards in the Premier League game that are more expensive than him are Sergio Aguero and Diego Costa. You know, he's more than Harry Kane, more than Christian Benteke, Lukaku, like all of these guys. So I'm not sure how we're under how he's like undervalued because he's third over you know, he's the third most expensive with Daniel Sturridge. So I, I I disagree that he's undervalued. I think he might be underowned in salary cap formats, which you know obviously will give you a, a slight advantage because you know you're obviously getting the points when when he does. Although I look now, he's the third highest owned yeah. forward also. So I completely disagree. <laughs> I've walked myself in, into a complete disagreement. So what you're okay? So what you're saying? So are you saying that either Daniel Sturridge is grossly overpriced or that? At the same at the same price that Wayne Rooney is actually a tremendous value, considering that you can either get him or Sturridge for that price. The the Sturridge issue is is fitness. Like a, a fit Sturridge, I think may even be better than Rooney. I believe he was last year when he was fully or you know, two seasons ago, the Suarez year. So I I don't I understand. You know, Rooney has been exceptionally fit over the last few years, which is something that you don't get a lot, um, but. He he's only scored twenty goals once in the last four years, five years. So expecting it now at you know twenty nine thirty, I, I I disagree that this is all of a sudden going to be his breakout year, particularly when there are other finishers on that team now. Like you're you're basically expecting then Mata, Herrera, uh, Di Maria, Depay to all have you know eight or nine assists each because they're they're feeding Rooney and you know each other. So. I, I don't think he's he's there yet. Or I don't think he's ever going to get there again. John, your reaction? Um, I'm closer to Andrew on this one in as much as Rooney's going to be Rooney's Adrian Peterson, right? I mean, I I hate to go to a, like an American sports analogy, but like you're going to get what you pay for. Like Wayne Rooney is not going to be able to over-deliver his price, but there is something incredibly comforting about knowing that if you're using your first-round pick on Wayne Rooney, you're going to get first-round value. At the end of the season, Wayne Rooney is going to be one of the 15 best-scoring players, provided he gets at least 2,800 minutes. And he's shown that time and time again. Now, Andrew's completely right. I mean, he hasn't had, like, a massive season when you really think about, like, a massive season since 2011-2012. And that's when he scored 27 goals with eight assists. He hit 230 points that year, and largely based on bonus points um, in the official game. And uh, that's, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal season. But last, excuse me, the 13-14 years, the one I want to look at, because in 2,445 minutes played, right, out of 3,200 possible minutes, he scored 17 goals with 12 assists. And that was largely playing uh, second, uh, second striker in a two-striker system. That's exactly the kind of performance that I think we should be expecting from Rooney this year. And Andrew just made a phenomenally good point in that this season he should have a very good supporting cast that are capable not only of providing him with ample opportunity to score himself, but also being able to finish the chances that he creates. And Wayne Rooney, as we've seen by being able to you know, shift back into that midfield role, is competent 
at delivering those passes. Last season, he created 45 chances, right? I mean, that's not a great midfield tally, obviously. But he should be able to create something on the average of a chance and a half a game. And let's say he only, conservatively, let's say he only nets uh, 10 assists, right? And over his last two, four, six, eight, nine years, he's had at least 10 assists in five of them, including two of the last three years. He's had 10 and 12 assists. Let's just give him eight. He goes 17 goals, eight assists in any format. That's going to make him a top five striker, maybe a top three striker. It's going to make him a top 15 player overall. And I'll take that certainty with my first round pick. If I'm at the end of the first round, top of the second round, I'm taking him and I'm God, I hate myself for saying this, but I'm taking him over Roberto Firmino, right? I mean, Firmino is all projection. Wayne Rooney is all money in the bank. 17 I, goals is a lot. You think 17 goals is a lot? I'm just saying that it, that's a, that's a high number for anybody. It's a high number for anybody, certainly. But if you if take out last year where he was playing in the midfield a lot, he hit 17 goals in just 2,400 minutes played the year before that. The year before that, he had 12 goals, but he only played 2,000 minutes. So that's a better than uh, that's a better than 17 goal pace. Season before that, he had 27. Season before that, he went 11 goals, 11 assists, but he only played 2,200 minutes. Season before that, he went 26 goals. I mean, realistically, he's he's a 15 goal a season player when he's getting 25 to 2,800 minutes and, you know, one or two lucky bounces at 17. I'm, I, if the over or under set is 16 and a half, I'm taking the over hundred percent of the time on Rooney this year. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap the, I'm going to try to wrap this with a nice bow with the following statement. And I'll see if you guys agree or not. Just yes or no. If you do or not. No. Sorry. Sorry. Moving on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Manchester United improved their offense from last year to this year yes or no yeah john yeah they improved their offense but they did it in the most indirect way possible uh, the, i, I let, let, let me get to the real point that the, the, the head <laughs> of the spear here with an improved offense and wayne rooney now at the furthest forward part of that improved offense, whether it's directly or indirectly, that will lead to 15 goals minimum. Andrew, agree or disagree? Because remember, you have now just said that they have improved their offense. Yeah, I, I think you're, you know, we looked back at two seasons ago or whenever he had the 20-something, or yeah, 27 or 17 that they're playing two-striker set, and they're not doing that now. So uh, I'm not sure... He's got f at least 15 goals as a single striker. Like we got to see how Memphis lines up. I think there's too many question marks, but I'll, I'll take, I'll say no. I don't that was the longest that. no answer Sorry. I've ever. Heard. I had to justify it though. You know, <laughs> real quick, Mike, to your point, and I, I'm gonna say I just took a quick look at DraftKings scoring. So with the 10 points per goal, six points per assist, one point per shot, and one point per shot on goal. I think Rooney is actually a, a pretty good play depending on where he gets priced. As long as he's not priced consistently, at least at the start of the season, if he's not priced consistently uh, at more than Aguero or Costa, I'd take a punt on him. You know, he's averaging across his career. Uh, well, these are, now these stats are coming from whoscored.com, so it's going to take into account um, all of his play. But he's averaging 3.8 shots per game 
And when you consider the fact that, again, I'm putting that over under at 17, you got a 50% chance of him scoring a goal in a match. Maybe a one in three percent, uh, one in three matches, he puts up an assist. He's going to put up four shots. Rooney is not particularly um, predisposed to poor conduct on the field. All right, so maybe he gets to dock a little bit for the fact that red cards are going to cost you. But realistically, the daily format's the best place for Rooney's horrible disciplinary record, right? It's only one point taken away for a red card. So even in even the biggest knock on him it isn't really a detriment uh, in DraftKings format. Gosh, I, I can't I can't give this up quite yet. <clears throat> um, thinking of how many guys, like how many guys do you think could legitimately score more goals than Rooney this year? Five. So I, my the list that I quickly came up with was Aguero, Costa. I'm not saying these guys necessarily will, but could. Alexis Sanchez, Hazard, Kane, Benteke, and Lukaku. Is there anybody else? Hold on. You said Aguero, Costa, Alexis, Hazard, Benteke, Kane, and Lukaku. Kane and Lukaku. Okay, well, you can take Eden Hazard off because Eden Hazard had a he's career not, season last year and he yeah. scored 14 goals. Yeah, he's, yeah, I was going to say that as well. There's no possible – I mean, that man's ankles have to be the most bruised thing on planet he, Earth. He, he deserved his summer off. Absolutely. Um, Benteke, if he plays 30 games, he's going to – or sorry, 38 games, he's going to score 20 goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think Kane is not on that list. I know I've talked to both of you guys off air about this before, but Harry Kane has played soccer consistently now for going on his 23rd consecutive month. He is a 148 pounds, six foot two inch tall, 22 year old kid whose body hasn't matured yet. He's just being run ragged. And I think very much to the detriment of both his long-term potential and Tottenham's chances this season He's going to he's going to fatigue early and I don't think he's going to bounce back from it. Yeah, and I here's a dark horse for me. Uh, I I hope he doesn't score a lot of goals because he's on Arsenal, but Olivier Giroud mm-hmm. I think he could be on I think he should be on that list cuz I this is probably me and John are going to be opposites again on this. I don't think Walcott plays center forward for Arsenal consistently. I think that's Giroud's job. And with that supporting cast, you got to think he's going to get 12, 15 goals at a minimum. And if he has a good season, he can, it can go higher. He was excellent last year in limited time. But anyway, so so Giroud, perfect segue, or even Hazard, were, they tied for sixth in goals last year with 14. So if you think that those guys could possibly finish ahead of Rooney, not not that like the numbers have to line up perfectly, but like that's the range we're looking at in the 14 to 15 range. So to expect him to expect Rooney to hit 20, I think, is you're expecting these other guys to either not score as much or they're score or, you know, Aguero and Costa are close to 30 and then everybody else is in the low 20s, which I think probably doesn't happen either. No, I think that's a fair point, but I don't think I'm going to set Rooney at 20. I mean, 20 is a pretty magic number. I think I'm, I'm more comfortable with a number a little bit lower than Mike's. I would take Rooney at 17 
And I would take Rooney at 17, like bet the house Rooney hits 17. Those other guys that we're talking about, we're talking about their potential to score more than Wayne Rooney Mm -hmm. because Wayne Rooney is the gold standard and what we expect from like a day in day out premier league footballer. Right. I mean, he's not flash. He's great skill, but realistically you're playing him because you know what kind of shift you're going to get out of him. And I, again, that's why I'm comfortable buying him in depending to a 12 team league. Absolutely. I'm going to take him in the first round. If I'm, if I'm sitting there at the turn at uh, 10, 11 or 12 and in an eight team league, if, uh, if I'm able to snag him middle of the second round, I'm going to consider that great value and, you know, job done for me for the day. Absolutely. Is there a Euro concern at all that they're qualifying for euros and he's captain in England? I'm not as concerned for Rooney as I as I am for some of the other players. I think that, you know, at this point, he's been doing that for 10 years. And for better or worse, I think he knows his body and he knows how to take care of it. I mean, at some point, sure, does he break down? And again, Rooney's never, well, Rooney hasn't played more than 2,900 minutes in the league since 2006, 2007. So I'm not expecting a full season out of him. I'm expecting him to miss five matches and still put up those numbers. There is no one on planet Earth who has done a better job restoring the number of hair follicles than Wayne Rooney <laughs> recently. He knows how to take care of his body, Andrew. Fair now, enough. I must wrap that up. We must move on just to a little bit here to, you know, just things that I, I want to move on to a couple things that I saw in the draft. I, from rounds 10... Through rounds 16, that's seven picks consecutively. I chose first-time Premier League players. Wow! Uh, it, 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 I think it's more coincidence. I don't think it's you know it's telling of anything other than the fact that I have no fear in first-year players. I want to hear your takes on the risks involved first-year players in the Premier League, Andrew. Let's start with you. I mean, uh, just to recap it really quick. They were almost all defenders. I had Cedric in the 10th round, Darmion in the 11th, which is now pointless, Frank Tabanow in the 12th, oh, in the 12th, Jordy Classy, a midfielder, 13th, Jermaine Lenz, 14th round, Tyrone Mings, 15th round, and Simone Francis, 16th round. So these are all first-year guys. Now, risks involved in general, not necessarily with my players, but in general with first-year players, and specifically which position you would feel most comfortable with first-year players in the Premier League. Not necessarily rookies. They could be veterans or experienced players. However, first time in the Premier League, Andrew, you first. I have no problem with defenders coming right away because I find that they tend to fit more into the system of the club than anything else, whereas you know, depending on the league that, that players come from, you know, there could be a, a big we kind of always talk about how physical the Premier League is, and there are a lot of European leagues that are pretty open. You know, the Dutch league is absurdly open, where guys like Josie Altidore score 20 goals, and that doesn't always translate. Wilfred Boney is obviously one of the, I think he's more the exception for how well he did in his first year in the Premier League. So I I have the biggest hesitation at, at forward, and then it eases up the further I go back. So goalies, I, you know, who cares? But... Um, I think the defenders are obviously the easiest ones that, that at least from a comfortability standpoint of starting them right away, that they're, they're not going to, you know, you're not expecting as much. So as the expectations go up, the further you move up the pitch, I think that's where you kind of can get yourself into trouble taking some of these, um, these new guys to the league. And, uh, you know, that's the benefit of daily that you can kind of wait to see how they, how they, 
uh, adjust. But, uh, you know, one guy that we've talked about kind of off and on is Roberto Firmino, who I'll note in our the first Taga draft we did, um, whoever drafted him fully expected him to be at Man U. And we were all like, oh, yeah, it's a good move because, you know, he'll play at United. And then not only did he end up going to Liverpool, United bought six more midfielders. But, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know how he's going to do. We kind of keep reading and what we've seen from the, what he did at the Bundesliga that, you know, he can play a kind of a physical style that, that should fit in, but we just don't know. And, uh, you know, when you have expectations of goals and assists, they, they just might not come. And so obviously the defenders give you a little more of a, I think the floor is higher for defenders because your expectations aren't as high. And uh, John, your, your thoughts. Yeah. I'm, Again, the the overall trend towards the guys that were sitting at that table having a very high comfort level with incoming players is, I think, going to be the pervasive thought of most fantasy players this year. And it's not one that I have a problem with. Um, I, my only note of caution is not everybody's Alexis Sanchez, right? Yep. I mean, that's the only thing that you can say to caution people is, like, there's not a chance that well, there's a chance, but there's a very low chance that any of these guys, if you had to take Alexis Sanchez's 2014-15 season or the field of new Premier League players, I might take Alexis Sanchez's season last year. Um, I mean, that's that's how good a year he had coming in from Barcelona. And I'm very much with Andrew. I'm comfortable taking, especially because they can be had at such a significant discount, uh, new defenders. Um, in Cedric for uh, Southampton, a wonderful example. In the eight-team draft we just did, uh, he fell to me. Hugh. <laughs> Tenth round. <laughs> that was that was the beginning of the first play, first year player in the Premier League uh, trend. My first of six straight, first of seven straight. Yeah, and but I mean there were a bunch of other players that that went. Uh, well, again to you, Matteo uh, Darmian went. But then in that same uh, that same streak, that was where Georgian Wijnaldum went, and that's where uh, Frank Tabano went. Uh, shortly thereafter, it was Jordi Classy. Um, Gerard, uh, was that to Andrew? Took, uh, these, are, these are all my picks. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe what I'm seeing is one person really managed to sway the draft <laughs> towards having an unhealthy obsession with new Premier League players. Um, it really, to be fair, it really was just coincidence. I wasn't actually saying, oh, here's my chance to get the first year players. It's just, I, that's just the way it shook out. There's not a bad pick in here, though. Well, I, I would say that Darmian's not a great pick now, considering that Valencia is now the starter at right back. Sure, but I mean, at the time we did, well, with the exception of me, everyone at that table thought that Matteo Darmian was the starter. And at the 11th round, taking, you know, arguably Manchester United starting right back is a perfectly justifiable move. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and this is the way the draft happened to shake out. But if you said to me, if you said that your defense is going to be Cedric, Tabanaugh, and at the time, the starting right back for Manchester United as your core three. Is that good or bad, John? I would say that's, in an eight-team league, that's probably in the bottom three. Oh, right. Not but I'm not, I don't think that is so far removed from the top three 
that you're going to have to worry if you've if you've made it up elsewhere. And again, I mean, you did a great job making it up elsewhere. You limited yourself to just one Wilfried in this draft, I think. Which no, nope, oh, I have no, both. You took, you took have, both of them. I again. have both Wilfrids. As you as you did in our ten team slow draft, you ended up with both Wilfrids. Uh, that Dimitri Payet pick was great. Um, if Oscar sticks and if he manages to beat out William for that time. Um, I'm much higher on Oscar than a lot of other people are. Again, we just touched on Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard had a blessed year last year. I mean, the man suffered no significant injury. Even after Chelsea had locked up the title, he was still getting 85 minutes a match. I mean, that's not happening again, uh, particularly not if Jose Mourinho you know, has any delusions of being able to compete for a Champions League trophy. Hey. Uh, he's going to have to save Eden Hazard's legs somewhere, and you know, that's going to come, and it's going to have to come in the league. Um, but I, yeah, Mike, I don't have any problem with the team that you drafted. I think it's I think it's fine, and I think that if you can if you can walk out of a draft happy with the amount of risk that you've taken, the value propositions that you're making consistently by taking new players. And again, I'm going to highlight the, you know the guys that I really like there, which are Payet um, and Georgina Wijnaldum. I, I'm and this, again, this is one of the reasons why I think you can afford to take. Uh, top-tier defender in the top two rounds or top three rounds or take two of them in the top four rounds because I will happily take those two guys as two of my starting midfielders on opening day. All right. We have run way over time. Thank you so much, John. That is great. We, we've had some, I know we've had some mostly disagreements, but hey, it makes for an entertaining <laughs> podcast, right? Uh, thank you very much for joining us, John, and everyone listening, and Andrew as well, I guess, for <laughs> this episode of the Wire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. We will catch you again next week after Andrew and I participate in the IEFSA, or the EFSA League, auction draft on Sunday. I'll see you there, Andrew. Yes, sir. Thank you again, John. Talk to you when we talk to you, probably on the Twitter. Thank you guys very much for having me. Absolutely. Hopefully see you later in the year. For more great content, go to rotowire.com slash soccer. It's all free and it's all for you. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.